Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. We're brought to you today by Tough Love Screenwriting, a brass knuckles, boots on the ground guide to building a paid professional screenwriting career, written by veteran working screenwriter John Gerald, available now on Amazon.com, and there's a link on our site for your convenience. And for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we have on the show a TV writer-producer who has worked on a number of TV series, including TNT's Perception, Fairly Legal on USA and Lifetime's The Client List. Currently, she's a writer co-producer on the NBC medical drama The Night Shift, which begins its second season on Monday, February 23rd. She's also the founder of Script Anatomy, which offers screenwriting classes and script consulting, and whose alumni have sold projects all over town, including to ABC, NBC, USA, Showtime, Warner Brothers, and HBO. I'm pleased to have on the show Tanya Bhattacharya. Thanks for coming on, Tanya. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. No, I'm excited to have you. It's great. Um, first off, we'd like to get to know you a little bit. I know you're originally from Washington State. How did you first get interested and involved in working in the entertainment industry? I think I, I always wanted to work in the entertainment industry. I didn't really know necessarily that it existed, but I was always interested in the arts. I started out as a dancer. I did like ballet and tap and jazz and gymnastics and I grew up in a really rinky-dink reservation town, so there weren't really a lot of opportunities for me to be on the stage, but I originally wanted to be an actress, and that's what I initially pursued. I went to college at Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle for acting and also the original works program, which is where I started writing, and then did acting in Seattle, Chicago, overseas in Vienna and Prague, and did a tour that also went to Germany. And then um, came to L.A. and I was like, okay, you know, it was, the, it was the film industry and so much of that can be waiting around for somebody else to do something for you. And it's not like you can stay at home and practice your monologues in front of the mirror. <laughs> you know, like you take classes and that's awesome, but it's, you know, you, you want to do something and have something to show for it. Nowadays, people are doing that with like, creating web series and more and more people are doing short films and I think you kind of have to because the industry is hard to break into but when I came here you know I tried to do the audition route and everything and I got really crappy roles and very crappy movies and and then I had that sort of like I'm gonna write something for myself (laughs) (laughs) and and so I did I wrote a short film but I never filmed it and then I um I decided I wanted to be a writer I wanted to try writing initially to to you know do that whole rocky um you know Sylvester Stallone thing right. something for myself to be in my own vehicle my starring vehicle and then you know that's not a very realistic thing I mean it's a difficult thing to do to raise that kind of money and 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 as I started writing and learning how to write I realized that that's what I wanted to do instead mm-hmm. so I gave up my terrible failing acting career for, <laughs> for writing. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of actors turned writers, there have been a, a number uh, of former actors who've turned into very successful screenwriters. We've had a couple on the show before, like Tim Dowling, who wrote This mm. Means War. Um, and, you know, again, there have been a, a ton of them. Grant Heslov, Danny Strong, Justin Thoreau. Oh, um, how, first off, how has your acting background helped your writing? And also, how did you learn the craft of writing? Okay, so w- with... With my acting background, I feel like when I started writing initially, I had a really good handle on scene work and dialogue mm-hmm. because I had been, you know, reading plays and performing them for so long that I, that was all very that kind of came easy to me. And but I didn't know structure, so I remember the very first the very first script I wrote. I actually wrote with a partner, and it was a different partner who then later, he was, he was older than me, and he was in the ad business, and he taught me a lot of what I know. Uh, he was amazing. And he moved back to Kansas. So, But one of the first things we wrote, they were like, um, we sent it out to some management companies, and one was a newer company at the time called Guy Walks Into a Bar, which I think is a pretty good boutique management company mm-hmm. now. And um, they wrote back or called. I can't remember which now. It's so long ago. Uh, and they said, you know, the writing is really good, the the dialogue is good, the scene work is good, but the structure's not there. Let us would like to look at what else you have down the road. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I need to learn how to do the structure part of it. And I went to every class under the sun. You know, I was doing features at the time, so I went to Writer's Boot Camp, which was a 22-month program. I went to 
you know, sat and listened to Robert McKee's performance, his lectures. I mean, <laughs> it's all great. It's very, you know, it's very entertaining and interesting and it all makes sense, but there's no real practical application. So you leave and you're like, okay, what now what? And I, and I can't even remember. There was just many, many courses that I took and I read a lot of books and that's sort of how I started. And, and most of, and then writing and rewriting is what also helps you get better. Mm-hmm. Did that even answer the question? Like, <laughs> no, that that absolutely answered the question. Okay. Um, I had another question, but I I'm gonna put that aside because you're actually your answer brought up another question. Mm. Talking about structure now for aspiring writers who want to write television, maybe you can talk a little bit about structure. Okay. Well, I will say, I mean, the most important thing is is some sort of structure because. Everything has to have an arc and mm-hmm. a build, and it has to have a drive that's building towards something. And the structure that's really important in network television, but I think it's also important because of the arcing of a story in, in cable, even though they may not, some of those cable shows don't have act breaks, I mean commercial breaks. But the importance of the sort of act break structure is to, you know, tease them to come back it's sort of like what are you cliffhanging how are you enticing them to come back and so you're trying to give them some sort of moment before the commercial break that makes them go oh no what happens next I've got to know what happens next and so that's that's kind of like how the act breaks are structured Mm -hmm. and then every show has their own structure I mean some shows have six acts or they have a teaser in five acts or they just have five acts or they have you know, when I worked on Fairly Legal, we had a teaser, four acts, and a tag. So it's like whatever that network mandate is, like how they want, then then you you structure it according to that. So it might shift and change. But when I was when I went from features to TV, uh, first of all, I felt like it was a little easier. I mean, I had been slogging away at features for a while and learning that structure, but it was easier to to then instead of doing. 110 or 20 or 105 because that that number always changes. It now needs to be a 90-page screenplay mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, it was easier to do something in like 52 to 60 pages as a one-hour writer than to do like, you know, get lost in the second act of a, of a feature. But um, I sort of took my feature knowledge and watched TV shows and saw that it was this, a lot of it was the same as far as having like what's your setup and what's your inciting and what's your midpoint, what's your low point, what's your climax and what's your um, resolution. Like those things still exist in a TV show, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and then there were other things that came into it. Like, well, what's the why now? Like, why are we watching the show today instead of, you know, five years from now? Or why does, why does it start today instead of five years ago or two weeks from now? Or, you know, 10 years from now. So like I just sort of took those things that I learned and I developed my own set of tools with for script anatomy. Um, so I took my own applicable process and then I started script anatomy and that like that's how structure I, I felt it was so important and it was important to impart because there's not a lot, I mean I don't know that there's that much out there. There's some, I feel like when I first started trying to write for TV, there was, there weren't a lot of people out there teaching TV. There was zillions of people teaching feature writing, but not TV writing. Mm-hmm. I, I know I kind of, you know, went in circles and went off course. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you want to plug something. And, and No, no, no. That's yeah. great. Now, you're part of a dynamic duo, a writing partnership, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about your writing partnership with Allie Laventhal, um, yeah. you know, how your partnership formed, what the relationship is like in terms of the writing relationship, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and how are writing teams treated in a writer's room in terms of your responsibility, compensation, credit, workload, hmm. all that stuff? Okay. How we started working together was Allie was actually the first, one of my first students in the first class I ever taught at Writer's Boot Camp. Um, I went to Writer's Boot Camp for two years, and then they asked me to be an instructor there. And so I started teaching, and she was in that first class. And we became friendly, and we got along, and she was very good. And we talked about – because she's a little lighter than I am, maybe a lot. I don't know. I'm a little darker. Uh, (laughs) And we had talked about doing a feature at some point because she had this idea, and it was dark, and she felt like you know she needed somebody to bring that – their, their dark essence into it. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about it, but we didn't do it because it was just, we didn't have time. I was, I had some feature options and a feature assignment at the time. And, but I, 
she had written a script that I gave to a producer that I knew. And so they, they like signed an option with her and she was writing that. And basically what ended up happening is we kept in touch. I had moved to India for a couple of years. Um, I came home one time for three months to meet with the producers of the different things that I was working on. And we went to Ali and I went to lunch and she said, you know, have you talked to Amy? She was the woman that we were both working with separately on separate projects and I said, no, but, um, oh, no, why? Does she, like, want us to, like, team up and work together so I'll finally finish my project? Because I had other things ahead of that. Like, hers wasn't the priority. The other two were. And she was like, no, but. And I said, yes, let's do it. I just knew what she was going to say. She was <laughs> going to ask if we should partner up. And so we, we said, yeah, we should do it. We called the producer. She said, that's a very sexy match. I think that's really great. You guys are, would be great together. And then we said, well, what should we, which, which of our projects should we write? And mine was diff, was really a difficult piece. So we, we, we went with the, with, with Ali's project because it was just a much more commercial, you know, uh, easy to wrap your head around project. We wrote that feature together. We wrote it mostly on Skype, back and forth, sending it like would be on Skype, would see each other's faces and we'd like type and would talk out a scene. And then one of us would type it. Skype it over to the other person. The other person would, you know, rewrite it. Would Skype it back, and it was fun, and we got along. and And at that time, I had I had um, had had started to write TV already, uh, and I wrote a pilot, and that got me into the Fox Diversity Program. But that the program's changed nowadays. It's grown, and and at the time when I did it, it wasn't as big of a deal, I don't think, and it didn't really get me to the next step. So I thought, mm, I need to do another one of these programs and see if I can get staffed. And I'm gonna, I need to write a spec. And Ali said, well, I need to write another spec too. So I said, well, why don't you do it with me? I want to do a Nurse Jackie. We did the Nurse Jackie. We got into Writers on the Verge. And I think at that point too, we had already decided we were going to be a team <clears throat> Excuse me, and, and build our career together. So, so we did that. And so that's, that's how we started. And then how writers are treated in a, teams are treated in a room differently are you know, I mean, you're basically two heads for the price of one. So you're like the discount, you know what I mean? In a way, you're like, oh, we're getting a special deal. We got two writers for the price of one. And But, you know, we both go in and we both pitch and we, you know, we write and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, I feel like we're treated well. And I think people like to have teams because they're getting the two for one and they're getting two very different people and very different perspectives, at least when it comes to the two of us. And... Trying to think, and you know, it's it's. I love the process because I'm very verbal, and we like to talk our stuff out back and forth, and that's a way of brainstorming that really works for me, rather than just like sitting and like thinking in a very insular way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you do that too, away from each other, and then you come back with stuff. But it just seems to work really well for the two of us, and 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 so I can't even imagine being in this business without a, a, a partner at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's. That might cover it. Was there something else? No, no, no. Hmm. And, you know, I just again, how writing teams, you know, are treated differently than individual writers, and you know, so and obviously every working relationship is different, you know, in terms of right. how you guys work and stuff. like well, that. Well, so yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because every team is different. I mean, we've definitely seen or met or know of teams where they write every single line together, mm-hmm. and teams that like us. We break everything. We brainstorm. We decide what we want to write together. We brainstorm everything together. We brainstorm away from each other. We come back. We do all the tool work. We like do the development. We everything development together, and then we break the story. We outline together, like roughly, and then we go away and like fill out that outline, and then we like separate the script. So like it might be she writes one half, I write the other half. Or it might be every other act, or it might be like you write this storyline, I'll write that storyline. I mean, we just it's however we feel and whatever's going to be quickest. Right. Um, and then I think I always wonder. This is just me, you know, psychoanalyzing myself and our partnership. But I always worry that like because we're a team, people are envious sometimes because we have each other. We always, we, you know, you, it's nice because you go in and it's the first day of school every time you're on a n- new show, and you're not alone. You know what I mean? You have somebody there that right. you know, can hold your hand. Or if you if you don't have anything to say, then they'll say something. Or you know, or they have your back and go, yeah, that's great. So um, that makes it really easy. But I always wonder if like it makes it harder to approach us, like you know, because people tend to like gravitate towards coworkers and have friends. And we we try to make a concentrated effort 
to build those relationships because it's easy for us to just be like, we have each other and for them to think, well, they have each other. So they're fine, you know? Right, right. Now talking about breaking stories, because a lot more time I think is should be spent um, and is in the professional sense spent on breaking story than writing. Um, I guess the misconception is that you know you spend so much time writing and you know the, I, I come up with an idea and then I sit at my computer and I write um, when in fact so much time is spent just breaking the story, figuring out all the details, figuring out the arcs, figuring out you know all your plot points, figuring out your ABC stories for you know the season or whatever and how they interact in each episode. Um, so you know, in terms of the, can you talk about the the process and and the time required to break a story versus actually sitting and writing in front of your computer after everything is broken. Yes. So a lot of the time in the room early on is spent just pitching ideas and throwing stuff out there and researching, you know, we're on a medical show right now, we're on night shift, the night shift. And so we'll look at medical books or medical blogs or, you know, find cases or things that you heard something happened to this person. Oh my God, it's an interesting case. And so that's, that's all stuff that just gets put out there in the room and there's the writer's assistant who's writing room notes. And then once you choose the stories, every room breaks story differently. So on Fairly Legal, we broke everything as a room and it was every single beat. Sometimes somebody would go off and try to break a little bit themselves and then put it on the board. But most of the time it was just breaking every beat together, which can be, uh, I think, very time-consuming and tedious. But... You know, because it's hard, it's hard to think as a room. You know what I mean? It's easier to just go away and look at something and go, okay, let me see how would this work. To me, that personally, I feel like that's more efficient. Um, on client list, we broke our own stories away. And after we decided, you know, what what's your arena going to be? What's your sort of A, B, and C? And then we went and broke our own stories. And then we pitched it out to the room. And then the room would give their two cents or have notes. They might have notes or they might not. You know, they might want to go like, mm, I think this needs to be moved up earlier. Or this isn't the right act break. And so, every, you know, and on night shift, it's this, it's kind of whatever the writer wants to do. So like we personally go break our own stories and then we'll give like the showrunner a beat sheet and say, this is what we're thinking. And then if he says, yeah, that's great. Then, or he has notes probably. And then we'll go off to outline. And there's a lot of notes, you know, throughout all those process, all that, the entire process. But, you know, mainly every, every show is different in the way they break, but the shocking thing for a new TV writer when they get their first job is you're not writing that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're breaking story. You're talking about story. You're pitching story. You're going away and brainstorming 20 ideas and sending it to, you know, sending it to the writer's assistant who's then putting a long list of everybody's 20 ideas together. And then everybody reads them and, oh, we like this one. We like this one. We like that. And let's, let's do an episode with that. That's awesome. And then you're, Maybe you're writing your story document, which takes a day or two. You're writing your outline, which takes a day or two. And you're writing your, dra- your draft your, and then the rewrites. Now, some shows won't let you do your rewrites. The, the showrunner will take it away and just do their pass. Or they might give you one, um, one pass at it. And then other shows, I've been on a few shows where they just, most of the shows I've been on, they, they give it back to you and they give it back to you and they give it back to you and it just keeps getting better and better and better. And then they'll put their thing in it too, you know, mm-hmm. a bit. But um it's nice when they give you your own rewrites if they trust you because it's you have more autonomy and you're invested. And I, I like that and I think that's how I would do things because I would want if I had a show of my own or we had a show of our own and we were running a show, I would want the writers to be invested instead of like, oh, well, they're just going to change everything anyway here. <laughs> here it is, you know. Right. So, yeah, you don't write as much. I always tell writers that I work with like enjoy Every minute you can while you're writing and struggling, which is sometimes hard to do, but it's the time when you're writing for yourself and you're writing more than you ever will. Right. Now, you, you're you on a medical show now, and you've been on a legal show, <laughs> you've been on a crime... Procedural. Yeah, yeah, procedural. So can you talk a little bit about research? Obviously not having a background in all of that. I mean, yeah. in terms of how research is done and dealing with uh, shows often have consultants and things like that. Um, yes. you know, on shows that are specific, again, procedurals, medical shows, uh, law mm-hmm. shows, things like that, how, mm-hmm. how that is done. Yeah. Okay. Well, in all those procedurals, which whether it's a medical procedure or legal or, you know, cr- crime, uh, you are doing research. So for fairly legal, it's like, you know, you just, you're looking at cases, you're researching online, you're asking your lawyer friends. Yeah. You have, a, <clears throat> excuse me, you have a consultant on every single 
you know, those types of shows, there's always, you know, for instance, we have two medical consultants on the night shift. And so they're coming in with their personal experience. Like one of our medical consultants is an ER doctor currently, mm. as he's also writing and co-producing on the night shift. So he's always got something new to come in from whatever happened the other night on his shift. But the rest of us are researching, looking at blogs. Um, I know that on Perception, uh, Ken Biller, who was the showrunner, wanted really high concept ideas and so it wasn't just like and then there was this murder it was like well how can that be interesting so the episode that we wrote um i had listened to a radio lab called unraveling bolero which is like really fascinating if anyone is interested in like the brain and you know somebody having frontotemporal dementia and it was about this woman who had you know it's like early onset alzheimer's it it, it affects the frontal lobe but it, it affects the, the voice and speech and and all that. And it, it ends up being really ugly and sad <laughs> to get that, that disease. But, but what was amazing about her is she was someone who had, I think, done some kind of cancer research and was a very intellectual sort of type of person. And then she just quit one day and decided she was going to paint. So she just painted and painted and painted. But the interesting thing was that everything she did was very sort of repetitious. So she had like her strawberry paintings, but it could be like strawberries coming out of faucets and strawberries like that are houses made of strawberries or whatever it was, floating strawberries. And then she did little teeny houses. And then she, she moved on to Bolero and she was, she had heard Ravel's Bolero and she was painting her interpretation of the music. And what's very interesting about that repetition and her decision to paint Bolero is that Ravel had frontotemporal dementia when he was, when he had that illness, that very same oh. illness. So it's something where, you know, so we thought, oh my God, that's very interesting and that's very visual. And we took that story and we sort of started crafting an episode around it. And then, you know, other guidelines, like every, everything has to have a sort of um, perception-y moment that's like a boom. And, and for us, it was like, oh, there's a guy and he's, they're at this art exhibit and all of a sudden there's this these flashing lights they're watching like a video and there's these flashing lights and and then he you know he like drops to the floor and he's had a, a um an epileptic seizure it's a certain kind that of course is escaping me now that i need to know what it is <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's a it's you know it's a photosensitive sorry photosensitive epilepsy and so like the whole case was built around that and there was all these cool little things and so you just you know, and that was something that there was a, my husband had read a New Yorker article and he was like, oh, you know, what's really cool is, you know, photosensitive epilepsy. And I was like, oh my God, that could work in this case. So you're just pulling pieces from research that you've done in, you know, reading magazine articles or listening to, for me, there's been a few great things from Radiolab or, you know, any of those kinds of places where you might mine for a story, you know, mm -hmm. there's, yeah, if that makes any sense. <laughs> sure. Now, now, does working on a, a medical show make you a little bit of a hypochondriac? <laughs> oh, of course. Like, I'm already, like, a, you know, super afraid to die, <laughs> not interested. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, you know, I had a twitch, and I was like, ask the doctor, my hand is twitching, and I don't know why. What's the worst-case scenario? And he's like, okay, well, you know, best-case scenario is, like, you picked up something weird and you strain that muscle, and that's why it's twitching. Worst-case scenario is, like, you have MS. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like – and, of course, like, oh, my God. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you start to think about your health more, and especially because you're sitting – in a room all the time and, and, you know, sitting is, is also a silent killer. And, right. um, so you're like, I got to get some exercise. I need to, you know, um, I need to do some yoga or some running or some, just anything instead of sit on my butt all day and eat, you know, all the things that the PA brings in from Trader Joe's, all the different chocolates and things. Um, but so you start thinking about that. You start thinking about health and, you see, because you see these people, and, and it's really gross, you know, when you watch the episode, and it's like <laughs> these open bodies and the blood and the guts, and, and there's just this little fine layer of skin, and you, you know, that's covering all those organs, it feels like, and mm -hmm. you realize how fragile we all are. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've been a fellow with uh, NBC Writers on the Verge and the Fox's Writers Intensive. Can you talk a little bit about the programs, you know, what they involved and, and how they ended up affecting your career? Okay. I mean, the amazing thing about the programs are that they are themselves growing and evolving and getting better and better at, at helping prepare their writers to then be, be room ready, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
we when we did it, it was things like for Writers on the Verge, we did uh, we had some speaker come to like teach us about brand and presenting yourself. And like he taped us and then we had to, so he interviewed us, taped us, and then we had to look at our tape. And so you would go, Oh my God, I have all these horrible tics. And I always look this way or I do, you know, gesturing wise, like don't gesture like this. You have to be, you know, like people sort of have their hands like slapping their sides all the time or whatever, <laughs> these bad habits. So he, he came to talk to us about that. And then, um, Jason Kadams, which was very exciting, came and spoke to us about, you know, running a show and how he hires a staff and how he got his start. And then, um, oh, we did speed dating with executives so that we could like put all that stuff into practice. And I know now, cause I have some of my writers who have gotten into the programs that I've worked with in classes that I teach. They, uh, now do like improv with UCB and they have uh, an executive come in and, and teach them how to pitch. And so it's, you know, new things are happening all the time with these programs. And one of the great things that they do is a lot of agents and managers are interested in who's coming out of those pro- programs because obviously everybody wants you to be vetted already. Like somebody else has said that you're good. So now we can take a look at you right? because, you know, time is limited and all that. And then the programs will like writers in the verge for us, they gave, our all of our like samples that we had written in the program to agents and managers who were interested and then they had a coming out party for us and so we got we got some meetings some a few agent meetings and manager meetings and then we went with one agent and then that age that sorry we went with a manager who then helped us get more meetings with agents and get our get our agent mm-hmm. so you know with that that's what absolutely launched us for sure i don't know where we'd be without that program um because it's difficult, you know, it's really, it's, it's hard to break in. There are ways to do it. And in fact, I did a, um, I did sort of a TV writer panel, which I do, you know, a lot for the classes that I teach. And I did one that was about breaking into the business without a program, you know, and there's ways to do it, like create a web series and have that get attention or do a pilot presentation or write a killer pilot that, that sells, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but the programs were extremely instrumental for 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 me and also for Ali, obviously. Now, do do many writers on in those programs uh, have reps already? Because I know I believe in the application they ask if you have a rep and everything. They do ask, and I think you know because more and more people find out about these programs, it gets more it gets more difficult every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did it, there were twelve hundred applicants. I think last year there were close to two thousand, mm-hmm. and they, I feel like, you know, having done Fox Diversity, which is now like the Fox Writers Initiative, but it was Fox Diversity when I did it, having done that helped us. Having had uh, a feature assignment helped us. Ha- having, Ali has a lot of years in visual effects. Um, I had an, op- an option, you know, and, and Fox had optioned my pilot. And so like those, those things definitely give you credit. And I feel like nowadays they want someone who's had a hit web series already has or already has representation or is a writer's assistant you know something that shows that you've already are making connections in the industry right and and that you're willing to like go for it and forge your own path because it it it, it takes a village to help you get there but it also it really takes you you know pushing your own career forward as well and not relying on somebody else all the time to make it happen right right i mean the myth that I get an agent or I get a manager and they're going to get me some bunch of jobs and I'm set is, yeah. is, is a definite myth. I mean, yes, I, you know, it can happen, but generally speaking, you have to do a lot of legwork on your own and there's a lot of groundwork laid with yeah. you have an agent or manager, obviously. Yeah. I mean, for instance, like when you're first a staff writer, you're not allowed to go develop because obviously they don't want every single person on staff developing because if, everybody gets their own show and then suddenly they have no staff. So usually you're not allowed to develop as a staff writer and a story editor um, in your contract or oftentimes on the first year on a show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first year we were able to develop, we, those were those meetings that we got were through contacts that we had ourselves or, you know, I actually had a, a writer whom I'll ever be, I'll forever be indebted to who had had a meeting. She was a writer that I've taught and she had a general meeting somewhere and they said, well, we're only looking to work with writers who are from at this level to this level mm-hmm. and who are diversity. And so she was like, well, I know somebody who would be great. And that's how we got that meeting. And that actually went pretty far. It didn't end up happening, but it went pretty far. So, 
Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you always have to do that too. It's always your own contacts. And then if you have an amazing agent like I have and, uh, which I, we do, then he's always busting his ass to get us a job. I mean, I, it's, you know, we were at CAA before and that's a big agency. That was our first agent. And, um, we were always like, what are they doing? And having panic attacks during, during staff <laughs> season. Right. And I know not all agents are like that there. There's some, you know, but our agent, we were kind of like, I don't know what's happening. And I think he just had other, you know, bigger fish to fry. And then when we, we now that we have our agent at, at ICM, it's been amazing. And I never worry about what he's doing because I know he's, he cares and he's doing stuff for us. And I don't have to, we don't have to like, find out or call or check in you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in fact we've always been surprised where we're like okay whatever we didn't we didn't staff on a network show let's just write our own stuff right now and then we'll get a call for a job that we didn't even know was available right no, that's so great. yeah i mean it's rare but <laughs> you have an agent like i do but <laughs> no that's great yeah uh, i would ask you who your agent is but then i don't want them to get bombarded with queries <laughs> I, I, I heard you I on the podcast and you're great I, yeah let's just that's leave it at I didn't that. say the name please do yeah. not bombard my agent yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um so at least make them do their own work to figure out who your agent is yeah. um, <laughs> now on the podcast we often talk about notes um and mm. how often they're given to writers um can you talk a little bit about notes in terms of of from the perspective of a tv writer you know network notes showrunner notes you know how you how do you deal with notes you don't agree with um stuff like that i mean everybody okay everyone's different i always tell the writers that i work with that like everybody has notes so get used to it and the other thing is while you're taking in the notes when you're starting out and you're getting notes from other people and you're not like in the business yet like you still have to retain your own vision you still have to be able to weed out the notes that you don't agree with and take the ones like I've seen some Frankenstein scripts because I've given someone notes and then I've read their rewrite and I've been like oh my god you got other notes too and they're totally contradictory and you're trying to do everything and it's not working mm-hmm. you know it drives me crazy um, <laughs> because you know because it's like you're not you're you you can't please everybody you know right. um so you always get notes from the you know sometimes it depends on the show and and how much that showrunner is giving their co EP to do or a consulting producer or whatever like there's been instances where you know first we had to give something to a consulting producer or another EP and then it would go to the showrunner and other times it just goes straight to the showrunner and so you might get notes from the consulting producer or a co EP and then you might get notes then you'll get notes from the showrunner and whether that's a story document an outline or a draft it'll then go to the studio and then the studio will have notes and typically I feel like the studios have been great and they they have stuff to say but not a ton and then and then it goes to the the network (laughs) (laughs) and um you know some networks are the people are really smart and give amazing notes like USA was was like that and TNT was like that and and you know different people at different places I mean you know not you can't lump everybody into one category but like you know, not development executives, not all of them are, are creatives, you know, they're not all writer types. And so it's kind of known, I don't know, I'm so candid, it's probably bad, but um, executives aren't really known for giving the most genius notes on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to sometimes try to find like, what are they really saying if you strip away the idiotic thing that was just said, I'm, I'm so <laughs> awful. But it's true. I mean, sometimes it's just like, Maybe they're not thinking it through or they're just not good at story. I don't know. I mean, let me tell you, I've had some worked with some network executives where they give amazing notes and they're brilliant and 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 all that. But then there's 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 the ones that you usually hear about from people where and there's that 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 Twitter site that's called like executive notes and there you'll see they're just the stupidest things you've ever heard in your life and you're like you just wanna tear your eyes out and but you still have to like you have to strip that away, like I said, and find out, like, well, what are they really saying? I mean, just to give you an example of a couple notes, there was like, I mean, please go look at executive notes on Twitter because it's just brilliant. But there was a, there was a note that we got and um, it was, there needs to be more levity in this episode. Um, can, oh God, this is, maybe I shouldn't say this because uh, <laughs> it's like, can the doctor hit on the rape patient? <sighs> so it was you know i mean what you know what i mean 
what? You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I don't even know. Like, I was literally like, okay, I have to take my name off this. I'm going right. to I have to move away, you know. Or, uh, you know, there was one time when it was like, well, maybe this is like funny. Maybe, you know, an airline pilot, if he's like an airline pilot, that's that's so, I don't know, that feels ungrounded. Can he be an astronaut? Oh, <laughs> it's gosh. like, yeah, because that's even more common. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Those are sometimes some of the notes that you get, but I, you know, I, I'll have to think about whether I want you to delete that or not. <laughs> but yeah. Well, um, it's funny because I believe it was Albert Kim, who is, uh, I think, co-EP on, on Sleepy Hollow. He mentioned the same thing you did in terms of really cutting to the chase and finding out what the essence of the note is. Because oftentimes they come in these really cryptic and, or, or silly note description. But if yeah. you really distill it down, there may be something useful in there. And he, what he mentioned was some stupid note that the, he had gotten that, you know, it was a cop show or something like that. And, he's, and I guess the note was, can it was a, and I suppose it was like a serious kind of cop drama or something, but it wasn't a comedy. And it said, you know, can he have a partner, probably a dog? So, and he thought he wants to have a dog partner and and he thought it was not a great idea, obviously. Um, but he, I guess he distilled it down and thought, well, what about, I guess he, maybe the partner, the cop needs a relationship. He needs something there to, you know, right. ground exactly. him. That's right. Exactly. And so that's what he took it as. And that's what he used it as. But he didn't obviously give him a dog partner, but he definitely yeah. built relationships around that. So, you know, again, similar to what you said, distill it down to what the, the, the note means. They yeah. don't have and a lot of clarity in them. Exactly. That's exactly it. And then, and then also sometimes you'll get notes from the actors. And once we were on, <laughs> once we were on a show where, there was a there was an actor playing a character and the character was satan and we were like really far into pre-production and we we saw the writer who was like kind of heading towards his office and we're like what are you doing and he's like i have more notes and you're like what do you mean i thought we're shooting like you're already shooting he's like satan has notes (laughs) and we just thought it was so funny because like satan had notes of course satan has notes (laughs) (laughs) why wouldn't he why wouldn't he right Oh, I love that. I wanted to get a mug. Wait, Satan has notes. Was he the one who had the note about the rape patient? No. <laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> no. No. I mean, look, I'm sure they were good, you know, to be honest, because not always, but I mean, you know, because you can never, but I've been actors like, and I think this is what helps being a former actor and being a writer now is that like, you know, what feels right coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, often a, 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 an actor will have a note because it doesn't, it doesn't, come out smoothly the way that it's written maybe or they just they'll have something that's really you know they know their characters like even better than you do and so um they'll be like well i don't really think my character and you know most a lot of the times they're right i have to say Hmm. okay um other than satan do you have any uh (laughs) other interesting or weird script notes that you've gotten oh my god i'm sure if i like rock my brain is always you know um, you block them out i try to block them out i mean yeah i mean oh yeah it'd be fun to like just sit and talk to Ali about like, what are those stupid notes that we've gotten? Oh, I know. Well, I think I put this one on, on, a, on network executive notes or whatever, um, executive notes, but, uh, we had, it, it wasn't really a note. It was just a question, which was just sort of laughable. And it was that we had described a character as having, uh, as being a vet who had returned from war and had, shrapnel scars on his chest which was relevant to the story mm-hmm. and the question that came back was so this character is a veterinarian why is he a veterinarian and i'm like oh my god do you know how to read you know what i mean like <laughs> i don't know they're not thinking I, I they're not they're busy doing 500 other things but it was just like yeah no he's a, you know he's got shrapnel scars i don't know we said he was coming back from war but okay (laughs) (laughs) um i wanted to touch base there was a a wj report in 2014 and i guess Mm. it used the 2011 2012 season so i don't know how it's changed since then but in that report i guess it stated that women make up only about 20 percent of tv writing staffs Um, although again apparently that's still higher than features which is only 15 percent uh, and minorities make up only 11% of TV writing staffs, which is only 5% of features. But wow. and, and the, the funny thing was that it stated that this is, quote, the highest level in a decade, which is... Sad. So, yeah. Um, but being both yourself, a woman and a minority, uh, what has your experience been like in terms of your progression and you know how you got started and, and how you developed? The very first job we had was a diversity job mm-hmm. because it was coming out of a program. And you're basically paid for 
when you come out of a program. So they'll pay your staffing salary. Um, so NBC will do it for three years, but they only did it for us for one year. We were on a USA show for one year. So that's, that was the show that we were paid for. And what was really kind of great about that job was nobody knew for a long time that I was the diversity writer because I don't look, I guess, that ethnic or you can't really tell what I am. I mean, it's funny <laughs> when I was like living in Europe, wherever I was, they thought I was from that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth be told, um, I, 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 you know, when I was, when I was started working, I was like, I'm white and I'm American Indian. And then I found out that my dad who raised me was not my biological father very late in life. And, um, and I'm half Mexican too. So, so like there's that as well. And there's all the, you know, and you bring all your story to it, but I, you know, some people know and some people don't, but that's the only job we've had as a diversity writer. Mm -hmm. And I know that you don't really want, I mean, it's hard because you, you'll do whatever you do and take whatever job's going to get you in the door. And then you're, hopefully you're, talent and the way you are and in the room and and how you relate to other people is going to keep you working Mm -hmm. but I know that at one point I was like I don't want a diversity job again because you know I don't want to be treated like oh you're the diversity writer you're just here for that reason which is a bunch of shit because there's a ton of talented people that are diverse and aren't in a room or that are in a room and they may have gotten their break that way but it doesn't mean anything it means that um, people aren't looking hard enough to to populate their writers rooms with diverse voices and so there has to be a mandate you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but there I, I i think i think on that sh- on fairly legal i was the only one who mm-hmm. was a diverse writer and then on client list there were at least there were two of us i think really? and then yeah and then on perception but we weren't neither of us were the diversity hires but but then on um, perception, there were one, two, three, four diverse writers, mm-hmm. which is a lot yeah. in one room. And then on the show that I'm on now, there are four okay. as well. Yeah. yeah. So like that's that's awesome. And then there's like, you know, I've I've been in like when I was on client list, it was which is great, the network mandated that you that the showrunner needed to hire mostly women because that's what the show was, you know. Sure, it, was, absolutely. it was the client list. And so it was it was all women and two men. The showrunner was a man, and and his EP was a man, and uh, and it was great. You know, it was a lot of fun, and it was not looking at that writer writing staff was not indicative of what you know most rooms look like. You know, right? But you know, the, the interesting thing about women in the industry, and I don't know, well, diverse writers, there's there's that, but there's also the the shortage of women in the industry, and I think it's you just said maybe twenty. I think I've read that it's twenty five. I mean, I don't really know, but it's really low. It's interesting to me that, you know, I feel like women need to be more support. I mean, this is my big soapbox, but women need to be more supportive of other women in the industry. And what has been, I've mostly worked with really awesome, really great women and, and uh, had one mentor slash friend, became a friend on, on, on Perception who was, is a complete rock and roll star uh, as a as a as a talent and as a human being and and she was really awesome to us and and really like cool woman to you know to us she was a woman we were women she was really like took us under her wing and really helped us and was so grateful for that and and she actually was somebody who was a role model as a female towards other females but also as just a person that's higher up working with you know lower levels mm-hmm. and then I've worked with you know, I was in a, on a show once where um, it was my first or second week on the job, and you know, you're nervous and you're just you're all pitching in the room and it's rapid fire and it goes really fast and there's just so much happening because in some shows that you're in a room all day and it's just nonstop talk and you might even be eating together and it's just you're just there. And uh, I pitched something and this female writer, like just her head, just sort of like swiveled around and she looked at me and she pointed at me and she said, first of all. I already pitched that last week and or the other day. And secondly, and I don't know, she started going off about something. And I was mortified. I was like, wow. I was a staff writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the lowest possible level. And she was pretty high up. And I, I felt so slapped in the face and so gutted and, you know, angry too. Cause like, 
I, I get upset, you know, and then I go to anger instead of tears usually, but I couldn't go to anger. So I went to tears. I just went to the bathroom and like started crying because I just felt like, why does this person hate me? I just like, I'm only doing my best. And, you know, typically people do repitch stuff. And sometimes people repitch things because they're the asshole that repitches somebody else's idea two minutes later using better words. Right. And sometimes it's that somebody's honestly making a mistake. And I, you know, I was a staff writer. I, I didn't remember the pitch and I went through the room notes later and I was like, I can't see that pitch anywhere. And I asked my writing partner who has a really good memory. She didn't remember the pitch. And I just thought, well, that's a really shitty cutting thing to do to another female and to anybody as as a matter of fact. And I just was like, yeah, you know, you learn how to be and not to be based on, you know, in a writer's room, but, you know, by looking at those around you. Right. Absolutely. And talking about relationships in terms of television, uh, now, relationships obviously are important in the business in general, networking and relationships, because people like working with people that they like. Yeah. Uh, but especially in television, uh, showrunners hiring people, you know, in other words, given two writers of equal skill, or even, I've even heard uh, showrunners saying that they, in terms of a writer who was, gr- they would rather have a writer that's good, who is a great personality that you would love to get, that you get along with, mm-hmm. that you can be in a room with for 15 hours and, and have a great time versus somebody who's a fantastic writer who you just, you can't stand being around. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, but yet every, obviously, writer's room is different. Every showrunner is different. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the different personalities? Like you had mentioned, uh, you know, the quote unquote, the asshole who will <laughs> repitch an idea with better words. Right. Um, some of the personalities that, oh you know, God. you can encounter, obviously not naming anyone in particular, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I will just validate that, you know, we, we would rather work on a show with nice people than, than, than with, you know, assholes. I mean, obviously you hope you can be on a great show also with great people, Sure. but, but it's, you know, life is short and, and it's not, we're not curing cancer. So why it doesn't need to be nasty. It can be a good and fun experience. And, uh, I think showrunners also want to work with people that, you know, cool, normal people that they like, but also who are enthusiastic about their show and mm-hmm. realize that their job is to serve the showrunner, that right. that's your job. Um, but the different types of personalities, oh boy. So there's like, um, there's the person who's the story poacher, <laughs> who like will poach stories from other people's episodes. That's not fun because like if their episodes be four years and they start stealing all of your ideas or all the things that are in your episode, then you're like, oh my God, you know, now what do I, what do I have? Mm-hmm. That sucks. Um, there's the no butt person, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that doesn't like anything. And the thing is that you can not like stuff and you can um, say, I'm, you know, that it doesn't, doesn't work for me because X, Y, and Z, but what about this? I mean, you should always have an, an answer uh, or a solution to that, that pitch, you know, something right. else that you can replace it with. Um, there's like the know-it-all who, you know, knows everything, has done everything or ha- knows somebody who did everything <laughs> or, you know what I mean, who yeah. somehow it's like, you know, most people are sitting there going, I'm not interesting. I don't even have anything interesting in my life to like put out there, but they're like, my dad was a serial killer and <laughs> I grew up on another planet and I'm a quadruplet, you know what I mean? Right. Like they just always have everything. I don't know. That, that always like, I'm always like, really? I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> but um, let me think what else. There's a few of those. Or the people that like dominate the room or mm. I think one of the most annoying things is somebody who won't let go of an idea. Mm. Fortunately, we don't have that, you know, now on our show. But there's been times when it's just like they just they'll keep they'll keep coming back to that and pushing that because that's their agenda. And it's like, well, the room doesn't really agree and hasn't latched on to it. So maybe we should move on. And certainly as a lower level writer, you've got to just move on if somebody says no to your pitch. It's like, okay, that's dead. And sometimes (laughs) it's because you didn't pitch it well and somebody will repitch it better. That's more experienced and you just have to suck it up. Right. (laughs) that happens. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to shift gears and uh, talk about script anatomy. I guess you had started script anatomy in 2010, yes. uh, which was before your screenwriting career really took off, just slightly. Yeah. Um, but obviously, since then, you've written for numerous shows and are now a writer co-producer on The Night Shift on mm-hmm. NBC. Uh, and that's what's really interesting to me. Most script consultants and screenwriting instructors are either like semi-retired or retired screenwriters or they're teachers who aren't now and may never have been working professional writers. But you're that that exception, that you are a current working professional writer 
and you also do script anatomy, which is interesting and, and sort of crazy at the same time. Totally crazy. <laughs> um, and so can you talk a little bit about uh, how you started script anatomy and why? Yes. Um, and, and why you're still doing it, which is insane. Yeah, but, yeah. it is insane. It's totally insane. Yeah. Um, okay, so how it started was I had taught at Writer's Boot Camp for four years. When I left boot camp, it was to go to India hmm. uh, with my husband who was launching magazines there because magazines were sort of brand new. You know, they, they, they were, while they were all dying here, they were just like hmm. bursting at the seams there. So um, <clears throat> I moved to India and I was, that's when I was like working in features and sort of doing some assignments and had some options. And I had writers who still wanted to work with me. So I, was, I worked with them just privately. And then when I was coming back to the States, my husband, we, we were, it was Valentine's Day. This was the romantic husband that I had. He was like, <laughs> go get a, go make a job happen. <laughs> you know, he was like, we were having a great time and we were actually on the East coast. We came from India back to the East coast first and I wanted to move back to LA and we were sort of trying to figure out how can we do that? Like we had sold everything. We went to India for two years and he was like, you should teach again. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to go work back where I was before. I just felt like I had done that. And he was like, I think you should start your own business. And I'm like, what? He's like, you should start your own business. You should like start your own school. You're really good at it. You like to do it. People want to work with you. Start your own. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I felt the same way when I was asked to teach at Writer's Boot Camp too. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Can I really, I don't know if I can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, yeah, okay. And then I just did it, you know? And there was obviously fear involved and all that. But um, that's when I set out to create my own curriculum, my own set of tools I wanted script anatomy to be uh, very practical and hands-on because like I had mentioned earlier in this conversation that I had gone to classes where it was like, this is all great. It's all theory and lecture, but there's no way to go home and do anything about it. So I wanted to give my writers an applicable process and a set of tools that they could use in the class and get feedback every step of the way, but then also take those tools away and use them for any of their projects, you know, forever and ever if they wanted to. So that's, that's what I think makes script anatomy unique and different. And then, you know, I, I, of course you become a better teacher as you continue to teach. And of course, as you learn more things in the industry, as you're working as a writer, you're adding much more finer points and layers to the, the, the tools and the sort of like how you can impart what is expected and needed to other writers. But, um, but I think that, I think I was, you know, I, I have to say this because I remember when I was teaching my first class ever and I posted it on some site that a very kind of known working writer kind of pissed all over the post, Mm. which is really mean and shitty to do. Um, But this person's kind of a bitter, known to be a bitter, uh, um, a sour bastard, I guess you would say. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and, uh, and I was, you know, I was mortified and I got it taken off immediately. I called the the company and I was like, oh, I'm starting a business. I don't need this shit, you know. But but, um, because he was like, well, how would you even know? How to how to teach and you know how to be on st- or like how to write for TV if you've never even been on staff and it's like I don't think that's necessarily always relevant because I think that you know there's that terrible old phrase like those who can do and those who can't teach mm-hmm. and I think that you don't have to to do professionally to be a good teacher right and I think that not everyone who's doing would be a good teacher but somebody who can do and teach that's a, that's a that's a, a gem of an instructor and that's what I wanted to, to be and, um, and try to be. And I think everybody who teaches for me, cause my business has grown from just me to having other instructors. I think some of them are professional writers and some of them are not, and they're all amazing and they're all teaching the same curriculum. And, you know, it's, it's definitely an added thing to give somebody your, what, what happens and what goes on in the room. And I'm very candid. So I always impart that. And, and obviously you learn from every showrunner what they like and what they don't like. And you learn how to produce an episode and what plays and what doesn't play. And so, you know, you that's great to bring to the classes. I know there was another part to this question. I kind of rambled. Oh, no. why do I still do it? Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. It's totally crazy. I mean, when I first started, I thought I didn't know, you know, if, when I was going to get staffed or if I would get a job. And so when I didn't get staffed on a network show, I went and taught a class. And then while I was teaching the class, I got the, the interview for Fairly Legal. And then I got the job, I think, during or right after teaching that, my first class that was under script anatomy. I mean, I'd already been teaching. but And at that point is usually when you stop teaching. <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying. It is. 
It is, but I love it. And mm. I also like, it's just become a part of me. I mean, I became, I became a teacher. I mean, even though I was a writer, I wasn't a professional writer. I became a professional teacher before I became a professional writer. And I think that's just in my blood. I think some people just have that within them. And I felt like with what I had created with script anatomy, that it was people were, it was all word of mouth. You know, I mean, I only posted on sites like, you know, Chicks with Scripts or Next Gen Femmes or if a college would let me post, you know, USC or whatever. Mm -hmm. There was never, I didn't really advertise. And there were, the classes were always filling and there were always people saying, when's the next class? So I went from teaching like a couple classes a year to teaching five classes and then having to have somebody teach a sixth to then having 11 classes last year and hopefully more this year. And that's why I had to bring on other instructors. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, there's times when I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed out. This is crazy. Like, what am I doing? Because the administrative part of the business is much more stressful most of the time than, than working on a show for me, <laughs> you know, um, because I'm not, I, I didn't go to business school. So I kind of have learned as I've gone along. And to be honest, like the business has grown because the writers that I teach have pushed me to grow the business. I had writers who took two or three televisionary writers workshops, which is my initial class where you learn all the tools for six weeks and you write an outline. And they would be like, I, you know, we love your class and we've taken it three times. We're not taking another class. We're not taking televisionary from you again, but we think you need to do an advanced pilot lab. And so I did that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I feel like it's pushed me to do it. And I've just kind of ridden the wave and I'm going on and, and I'm doing it. And I, I'd be lying if I didn't say sometimes I'm like, I want to burn my website down <laughs> since I don't have a building. But, but, uh, many, but I, many a night I, I you've sat it. at the delete key, just yeah. your finger shaking. I know. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. But, you know, but I, I, I love it and I love, I love helping other writers. And, and there's something within me that's always tried to give what I didn't get coming up, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's being a good mentor or whether that's like teaching screenwriting and having an applicable process. Like, I don't know, somebody has to do it. You know what I mean? Sure. And I feel like it's not that it's not relevant to have somebody who, who was in the business 20 years ago and who's now teaching. I mean, they, they have a lot to impart, but I think there's something special also about somebody who, and other writers teaching for script anatomy who are working right now and are current and relevant and, you know, in the business as it's, as it stands and as it's changing, because it's growing so much. I mean, it's scary, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's exciting, but it's also scary. It's scary because you're like, oh my God, all these, all these celebrities are coming and doing TV shows and all these fancy, you know, big name feature writers and feature directors and they're doing television and, you know, it's, you're like, oh God, <laughs> I got to, I got to build my name so I don't get squashed out of, right. out of the business. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, TV used to be that sort of redheaded stepchild, uh, yes. you know, the secondary to film. Uh, but now everybody wants to be in TV. Everybody wants to work in TV. Obviously, because you can, you can make a living, which mm -hmm. is wonderful. You can get paid to write, which it's, it's hard to do as a feature writer or a TV writer, but also like the most, the most wonderful thing is that you get your work produced. I mean, I've had options, I've had assignments and features and nothing gets made. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have nothing to show for yourself. And it's fabulous to, to have something to show for yourself. It's like, it's so exciting to, to watch your words come to life and see the actors and the director and, and then it's on the air and then it's on IMDb. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's, that's, that's very satisfying, you know? Right. Well, in addition to being a writer producer on the night shift, a network show and running script anatomy, teaching classes and running the business, obviously you also started writing for script magazine recently, which I I'm sure you just have so much you know, dead <laughs> time. time. Yeah. You know, just forgot, oh might God. as well. Um, anyway, what you sort know. of topics are you going to cover and, and what made you want to write for script magazine? You know, to be honest, I realized that in order for a script anatomy to survive, mm -hmm. it couldn't be just about me. And, and that's when I started bringing on other instructors because I can't teach five classes a year. Like I did that once. I mean, one time I was teaching uh, a six-week class and I wrote two scripts, you know, mm -hmm. when I was on the client list. And, and uh, it was craziness, you know, it was just so stressful. And I would, I would get up early in the morning to read the writer's work and I would do it at lunchtime and I would do it after work until late into the night. And it was insane. It was, it was, it was madness. So this last year when, you know, when, when, it, when I went from six classes to 11 and then when's the next workshop and when's the next this, I thought, okay, I have to, I have to expose the business more so that I can make sure my instructors have 
students in their class and, and I can build the brand and not just be, because it's very LA, you know, it's very LA. I don't have online classes yet. It's very much people come and take classes live in LA. You know, they, they come and they sit in a place that I, that I rent out and that's right. what they do. So I, I started coaching with Lee Jessup. <laughs> Oh, great. Yeah, I'm just going to plug somebody else. Yeah. Um, Lee Jessup, who is an amazing woman, a powerhouse. I love her so much. She's, she's such a good person and a good friend and amazing at what she does. And she, she coaches a lot of writers with like, you know, with getting, building your career, working mm-hmm. towards your career. I'm not, I'm so sorry, Lee, I'm not probably saying it the way I should, but, 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 uh, she does, she's coached with business people too. And I thought, I'm going to coach with her. And so she's been a person who's been very instrumental in pushing me and helping me set goals and guidelines to go to the next level with the business. And one of the things that, that we both thought would be a good idea would be writing for Script Mag, which, you know, I'd thought about doing before, but I just, I hadn't, you know, made that, that jump. And so she pushed me off Mm -hmm. the edge, off the ledge. And, uh, and I'm going to start to write for it. And I'm excited because, they need more TV content from from what they've said, and uh, hopefully, I can provide that. And it's called uh, Your TV Guide mm-hmm. is my mm-hmm. is my um, blog or my article title. And the first one should be coming out in a couple weeks, uh, at the end of the month or the beginning of February. And it's about meetings. And I decided to do that because I wanted to be very hopeful, you know, as the new year where it's 2015 and what do we all wish for? You know, good stuff. Okay. Well, one of those good things is getting meetings that will get us the agent or the manager or the job, right? So that one's about meetings and it'll just be sort of, sometimes it'll be the how to's of writing. And, you know, I want to talk about the why now of, of your pilot, or I want to talk about you know, what are you, what are you doing for your fellowship season? And what about your, not just your script, but your essays. And I want to talk about active protagonists. And so sometimes it'll be like towards writing and then other times it'll be towards the business side of things. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, we're headed towards the end of the podcast. We like to find out what you're reading, watching, playing, and or listening. (laughs) So what what are you reading, (laughs) watching, playing in terms of, you know, games, video games, things like that, and listening to? Okay. Uh, I'm not playing games. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just finished watching The Missing, okay. which is the, I think it's a French and BBC show, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. Um, the kinds of things that I watch television wise are The Americans, Mad Men, Game of Thrones. I love The Sopranos. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched Breaking Bad. Oh yeah. And I, I love The Fall. So, you know, an an orphan black, those are the kinds of TV shows I'm watching. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading, oddly, I'm reading a lot of, well, first of all, I'm reading this book called Severed. (laughs) And it's, it's about, it's about severing heads. I mean, (laughs) it's about, about, you're you're trying to find a delicate way to put that. You know what? Just go with it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What I mean, it's about, it's about human. It's called like, heads lost and found or something. And it's about like, you know, shrunken heads and, hmm. and people getting their heads cut off, you know, back in the day. And it's, it's actually really fascinating. You know, it's really dark, but it's, it's, it's really kind of cool history of, of that and how it all came about. Okay. <laughs> and then I'm reading um, lots of bios this year. I actually ordered a lot of bios and, and one of them is that called monsters. And it's the sort of story about Mary Shelley Mm-hmm. Um, writing Frankenstein and how uh, I think it was one of the one of the people that was in the this like house when it was raining and storming stormy one night said like challenged everybody to write a, to write a scary tale and so she wrote Frankenstein oh. um, so it's kind of about that and how that came about and that's what I'm reading so reading and watching and listening to I mean. I'm so bad with music because I just listen to the same things over and over and over again. My husband will be like, oh, my God. I have, like, an iPod that has, you know, rap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, like, really cool, you know, really good rap. And then I have, like... the Sugar Hill Gang or something? Yeah, like, I mean, like, everything. It's got, like, all kinds of people just all throughout it. And, like, just really, really cool old school rap. And then Mm -hmm. um, I listen to 80s music. Okay. (laughs) And... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that's very current with with music and bands. To be honest, I just listen. I'll, I'll be like, "Oh, I like this song. What is it?" You know, he'll tell me like my husband will tell me like 50 times, and I'll, I never really retain it. Right. But I know that I like the song, and and those are the more current things. But 
you know, I listen to whatever he puts on the on the podcast right. <laughs> on, the, on the iPod. Sorry, um, mostly. Well, the classics are, are great. They're a classic for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, I like them. I know. You know, I know all the words. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, do you have any advice for aspiring screenwriters, or is there anything else you would like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things would be one is keep writing. Put your 10,000 hours in. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally did that. I'm not kidding. I'm very, I can be very methodical in that way. I decided that I was going to put 10,000 hours in and I challenged myself to, to write 10 hours a week and then I built it up to 20, then 30, then 40. And by the time I was up in the 30s and 40s, that's when things started happening for me. Mm-hmm. And I had put, you know, that take, it had taken me a few years to build up to that. And it's literally about just, you know, I wrote it down in a New Yorker desk diary and made sure that I was accountable for that. And then, you know, I would say don't show your work too early. I think that's a big mistake writers make. They show their work too early and they think they're ready. And we always all think that things are ready because we're just, we, we all, no matter what level we are, like want to get the next thing happening. So mm-hmm. we, we tend to, to do that too early. So make sure people read your work and th- they like it and that people, more than one person says, yes, this is ready to be seen because you only get one shot with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like two really important things, you know, like keep writing and getting better and, you know, know that this is a really competitive industry. So you have to be taking classes and reading books about writing and then physically just doing the writing and, and becoming better because that's what other people are doing that are trying to break in. And you have to, you have to match, you know, you have to match that. You have to kind of compete with that a little bit. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I think mainly those two things, like, you know, get, get in a class Get in a writer's group, but then also be careful with writer's groups that you're not relying too heavily on them because sometimes they're all struggling as well and they're they're also interested in their own projects a little more than they are in yours. And so, you you know, you, you have to, you know, sometimes I, 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 I'm a very big supporter of writer's groups, but then sometimes you'll see something come back and they'll be like, my writer's groups are all read it like 50 times and they, these are the notes they gave. And you're like, oh my God, they, they, you, you're on the wrong track. Right. You know? And that's part of the whole thing we talked about earlier, which is keeping your vision mm-hmm. you know, in place. Right, especially at that level. Yeah. yeah. And then know that writing is rewriting. Is, you know, but if you develop really well, then the rewriting process is less painful. Sure. Well, thanks yeah. for coming on the show, Tanya. I Thank really you. appreciate it. Um, and you can follow Tanya on Twitter and it's at let me see if I get it's at T uh, Batacheria right mm-hmm. that's for your Twitter and then at Script Anatomy they can also follow for lots of great stuff yes and I will say I mean obviously follow Script Anatomy but my little T Batacheria personal account which I'm trying to be more uh, active on needs help <laughs> needs, and by help I mean needs followers okay <laughs> that's good to know mm-hmm. um, so yeah be sure to do that yeah. Um, and, and if listeners have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or just send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there. Just at scriptscribes. And uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>